The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome to NDE Radio, brought to you by IONS, the International Association for Near-Death Studies. I'm your host, Lee Whitting. Our guest today, Ken Root, is a computer engineer, now retired, who has had, had his first mystical experience in a car accident as a teenager when he was greeted and protected by a loving guide and for a few moments was given the gift of seeing the structure of time. Unable to process the experience and in deep denial, a few years later he found it happening to him again. This time the guide greeted him with, you tried to stuff it last time, so you needed to have this happen to you again. Pay attention and remember this for the rest of your life. After going through his own dark night of the soul a few years ago and the explosive growth that followed, Ken now believes that humanity is facing a similar dark night on a global scale and we are all entering a difficult period. By grounding our own fears and remaining present in the moment, working together and supporting each other, we'll get through this. Ken, welcome to NDE Radio. Oh, thanks, Lee. It's wonderful to be here. This oh, is uh, quite quite a surprise and a pleasure. <laughs> well, it's great to have you on. Ken, let's begin with your incredible car accident in Brazil when you were 17. Sure. The place to start is one summer, my mom invited a guest to stay with us for the summer from Brazil. <clears throat> and the following summer, I graduated from high school. Um, was about to start college, had uh, some leftover cash in the bank, and I got an invite from Brazil to come and visit. <clears throat> he wanted, uh, w- when I arrived, I, I accepted the offer. Um, my host wanted to travel through Bolivia and wanted to go to some places that I was really kind of nervous and uncomfortable taking those kind of risks. So I ended up kind of just staying in Sao Paulo. I uh, ended up uh, having all sorts of opportunities to travel anyway. Um, But it was really just kind of a a summer mostly of being base camped in Sao Paulo with a wonderful family that, you know, I, I was treated like a movie star. It was, you know, back in the 70s. This was 1971. Um, <clears throat> there weren't a lot of Americans very um, dominant in their culture with movies and everything else. So it, it was just an amazing summer. I mean, I, I literally was treated like like royalty. Mm. Um our daily routine, because it was summer in the United States, it was, you know, winter in uh, the Southern Hemisphere, all my friends were in school. So our typical day was they would come home from school, we would hop into Volkswagen Beetles, and we would practice our racing techniques on the streets of Sao Paulo. Um, <clears throat> it was a lot of fun. It was how to say this. I'm, I'm trying not to be too judgmental on myself, but, you know, it's what stupid teenagers do. You know, we were out uh, learning to test our skills, test our limits. Um, on the weekends, we would take go-karts to Interlagos International Speedway and race these insanely high-powered go-karts. And so this was kind of our practice for getting ready for the weekends. This was a normal routine. You know, this had already, by this time when my accident happened, this was our everyday thing. 
mm-hmm. I would sit around meditating, waiting for my friends to come home. We'd jump in the cars. We'd all peel off and start burning up tires on four-wheel drifts going around the turns. <laughs> Actually, it was a little bit of a diversion, but our favorite thing to do was after it rained, there was a hill that was very steep of cobblestones that was covered in moss. <laughs> we would go up to the top get up some speed, pull the parking brake, turn the wheel, and just ping-pong off of the curbs. <laughs> oh, my I gosh. Mean, I mean, crazy <laughs> stuff, right? So <laughs> facing danger was part of it. You know, it was about machismo of facing your fear and death and moving through it. One day was different. I got to the door of the car, and I stopped, and I knew not to get in. I just absolutely knew I should not get in the car that day. My friends, who... You know, of course, I'm a teenager, easily impressionable. Um, They just started giving me a whole bunch of difficulty uh, calling me names and, you know, diminishing and laughing and mocking. And, you know, as a teenager, I think we were all much more impressionable at that age. And I reluctantly got in the car. The minute I got in, I knew I shouldn't be there. I knew I made a mistake. Um, I could feel the fear raising in me and my usual techniques of breathing and calming did nothing not even influenced it it was like throwing a thermometer in the oven and watching the 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 mercury rise Mm -hmm. there was nothing i could do to slow the rate i could just feel fear completely unshackled just building in me i was starting to just absolutely panic no reason absolutely no reason i'm like this makes no sense I don't know how to deal with this. This is really uncomfortable. Maybe I should put my seatbelt on. So with that thought, back in the old days, we didn't have as much um, regulation around seatbelts. So there were separate seatbelts. I put on just the belt, not the shoulder belt. Mm. And I can't describe, words will never describe really the click of that buckle. This had never happened to me before in my life. When I click that buckle, Something inside exploded. I, I don't know how to describe it. Uh, the, the way I typically describe it to people is if you can imagine in your mind's eye a really giant, sweaty sumo wrestler holding a hammer, a gong, you know, and swinging this hammer into an immense, like, you know, 20 foot size gong, you know, and imagine the reverberation that that would make. That's what this little tiny click of the seatbelt did to me. It just shook my entire world. And immediately, without my mind knowing or understanding any of this, my hands flew into action. And I just watched this happen in amazement. My hands just kind of went without me. (laughs) I unbuckled the belt. I reached up, grabbed the shoulder belt pulled it down, buckled both of them. And as I was doing this, I took off my jacket, wrapped it around my right arm, hung the coattail off of my right arm to cover the window next to me. So I was in the right rear of the Volkswagen in the passenger seat. And I took my right arm and I braced it against the window frame with my arm and elbow above the window with the coattail hanging down over the window, over the glass. My left arm, I reached underneath the edge of the seat and pulled myself down into the seat, pushed myself back into the seat with my feet, took a couple of deep breaths, and could just feel that my fear can't go any higher. It's going to explode. 
I knew I could feel when that event was coming. And I went three, two, one, now. And I watched the cement, the, the, the asphalt outside my window, tilt up, come up to the window, and the window exploded in my face. And before the explosion of the glass, the minute the glass broke and shattered in that very microsecond, in that instant, time stopped completely, or I thought it stopped completely. So here I am, eyes closed, glass flying all over the place, time has stopped, and I'm like, what? (laughs) What just happened? I had no concept of any of this. And what came through immediately in, in the first instance was a loving presence and a, I can't call it a voice, but it was direct communication telling me that I was loved and protected and guided and I had nothing to worry about. Mm. <laughs> and I could ask questions. I could communicate. The way I try to describe this to people is, mind you, I had no background. I was 17. I knew nothing about any of this, is that summer um, in Brazil, as an American alone, uh, immersed in a foreign culture, I could not speak English for several months. It just was a burden. It was of no use. I mean, occasionally I'd have friends that, you know, knew how to speak English and I could have, you know, uh, short conversations. But in general, I was like a baby born into a new world trying to learn language. And I did that by dropping English and totally immersing myself in Portuguese and trying to learn the language. By the end of the summer, I was dreaming in Portuguese. I had trouble speaking English when I came home. It was, you know, pretty amazing for someone who didn't think he could ever learn a foreign language. But the way I try to describe the communication is whatever language you hear, whatever foreign language it eventually, after it goes through your ears, goes through your brain, it results in a symbol, some symbolic understanding, a noun, a verb. They all translate into a common internal symbology. It was like that. It, it wasn't words. And in fact, you know, people have asked me, you know, what, what was the end result? You know, what was the shift in all of this after I experienced this? And it was that I stopped thinking in words. And that's really what happened was I was languageless, and yet I was communicating with a presence. I was loved. I was guided. You know, one thing that I found really interesting is I couldn't look at it. I couldn't raise my gaze to this being. I could communicate. I could feel its love and presence. But the the love and the, the light was so intense, it was like turning on the bathroom light. You know, when you, you're in a pitch black room and suddenly you're flooded with light and you just have to look away. It, it was like that. So you felt like you were out of the car at that point. You'd been transported to a, a different place. Initially, it was just blackness, just time stopped. Yeah, it was like I was, it was, like I was in a void with my eyes closed and mm. suddenly communicating oh. with my, my guide and just kind of trying to find my bearings of what's going on. Yes. So initially, what, what I started to observe with eyes closed, with time stopped, was the, the initial stimulus was all this glass flying around the car. And I started really concentrating on the glass and, and you know, focusing my attention there. 
And what I found was, at first I thought time had stopped cold, like completely cold. Um, And as I paid more attention to the glass, I could hear the tinkling and hear and feel almost the, the movement of all these particles suspended in the air around me. What really surprised me was I was able to focus to the point where I could pick out individual pieces of glass in the air. You know, if you can imagine like, you know, sending out a probe in space to an asteroid and how it kind of circles around the asteroid and scopes it out. I found myself doing that with the glass suspended in the air and trying to make sense of this going, what? (laughs) And as I was doing this, trying to figure out, is this my imagination? What's going on here? The thought occurred to me that I'm in a really dangerous situation. I could die, right? What's going to happen to me? And before I could even finish the thought, I suddenly found myself almost yanked out of my body straight up through the roof of the car, um, through a transparent roof. I was like looking down back at the car, through the roof, at myself, down in the car. Mm -hmm. And I could control time. I don't know how to describe it. I don't know how I knew how to do this, but it was as easy as opening and closing your eyelids. Just simply the intent or thought of, what's going to happen to me, I watched the entire accident play out in front of me from above. I could see the car roll in any detail, any angle, wherever I wanted to view it. I could see that it was going to roll three complete times. I could see that it was going to land on all four wheels. And I felt a sense of relief of, oh, okay, you know, we're not going to go off a cliff or smash into any other cars. You know, we're just going to land on all four wheels. This shouldn't be too bad. And then a pop, and I'm back in my body. Mm. And I'm like, wow, (laughs) that was cool. And I did it again (laughs) and again. I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh, this is repeatable. I can go back and forth, out of body, come back again sit in my body and listen to all the destruction around me, or, hey, there's this other opportunity to go explore. I'm stepping up into this. This is kind of interesting. (laughs) Uh Don't know how to describe it in much detail. Um, A lot of the experience was monochrome, I guess is a way to describe it. What I found that was interesting was when I was shifting time, things kind of went into almost this etheric grayscale. Like matter became soft and kind of wavy and transparent. And then I could change my vibration and settle into a moment in time and colors and form would return. So, yeah, this was like, wow, (laughs) what's happening here? When we got to the third roll, I was honestly bored. Uh, It felt like I had been in this accident for an hour. (laughs) Mm. When we teetered on the last edge of trying to land on all four wheels to right the vehicle, it seemed like we were balanced on two wheels forever. And climbing up to that point, it just seemed impossible. You know, like you see slow motion videos of a ball rolling uphill. It was like that. It was like, how can this possibly have enough inertia to make it back onto its wheels. There's no way. And it was almost like we were rolling uphill trying to get there. So we finally smash on the shocks. The car bounces up and down. 
I'm like itching to get out of the car. I'm like, let me out of here. And I was stopped. My, my guide loudly said, no, take off your glasses and dust your eyes first. Get all the glass and particles off your face. So I did. It took a few seconds, dusted off the glasses. There was powder on my face. So I opened my eyes. It's a bright, sunny day. The person next to me in the backseat is slumped to the side, unconscious. The first thing I noticed when I opened my eyes was the driver's side seat was tilted forward, resting against the steering wheel. The door was wide open, sunlight beaming in from the open door, and it was like valet service offering to have me step out of the car. It was just like, what? That's kind of weird. What happened to the driver? As I'm climbing out, I look to my right, and I see the uh, passenger next to the driver in the front seat. He had gone through the windshield back, and you know, I just felt this twinge of, oh, I hope he's all right. I thought I was done with this. I step out into the street. I find myself in a roundabout, a, a circular rotary with a fountain in the middle, shops all around. I don't know how many... Um, roads fed into this, but it was kind of like a spug, uh, spoke and hub you know, where all these side streets just, uh, went into this kind of bowl. And what my friends had tried to do was go down into this, and rather than doing the rotary, they tried to do a U-turn back up the next road. And it was just way too sharp a turn, and we just rolled right through this plaza almost. Um so traffic was stopped all around us. The shops are spilling out traffic, people coming out to see. I thought I was done with this. I thought it was over. And what happened was every time I set eyes on anyone that I saw, I could see through their eyes. I, I, <laughs> I had no idea. I had no way to process this. You know, I, I look at a group of kids and they're like jumping up and down in excitement, you know, going, oh, more, more, you know, let, let's see, you know, like, um, what do they call that? Uh, stock cars or, you know, those destructo derbies. They, they, they were all over this going, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what I'll never forget that just absolutely kind of put me over the, over the red line of what my mind could handle was this woman steps out of a shop. I think she was probably a cook or something. She was wearing an apron. And the compassion and the love that I experienced when I looked at her and got, you know, I glanced at her, what I saw was a look of horror and fear and love and compassion. I could tell that her son was just recently in a car accident and she was projecting her recent experience on this event and was in trauma going, oh, my poor boy, I hope, you know, those kind of memories were just flooding her from a recent uh, accident. And I could see her son. I could see his face. I could see his beard. And I was like, oh, I wonder if I can find his name. <laughs> I was uh -huh. that sure that this was real. It's like I'm seeing through this person's eyes. This makes no sense. And right as I was having that thought about, you know, stepping into this, that was the last memory I had of the entire event. Literally, it was like somebody just erased my memory with one of these neuralizer beams or something. I just, everything stopped at that point. And for years, I've wondered, how did I get home? My mm. friends were all unconscious. They were going to the ER in an ambulance. 
there was nobody there to, to you know, kind of guide me out of this. We didn't have maps. Cell phones weren't invented. Um, I was lost in a foreign country, in a foreign city with no guide. And yet I woke up the next day at the guest house where I was staying with this family like a normal day. I have no idea. Maybe I walked. <laughs> I have no idea how I got home. Um, well, Ken, because we've got about 10 minutes left, oh, I, I'd I, like okay. <laughs> I, I, No, no, no. I'd like to get to your to the second accident, which yeah. happened, what, a couple of years later. Just I think you said you were home from college. And why this second accident had to come along according to your guide to teach you something. Exactly. I'll try to try to pick it up with less detail. So what happened was the next day I went to the hospital and I saw my friends. They were completely covered in scabs and cuts and I didn't have a scratch, not, mm-hmm. not even a nick. And we all agreed right then and there that the American wasn't in the car. We kept it a secret. And that really kind of cemented for me not to talk about this. I, I told nobody. Um, I didn't want any involvement with insurance and all that. So I completely erased this. I just never even wanted to think about the trauma that had happened to me ever again. So a few years later, I'm partying with friends home from college for the summer, drinking beer, smoking pot, having a good time. Mm-hmm. And this motorcycle pulls into the park. And it was exactly like that sumo wrestler hitting the gong. This guy lit it up. And I was like, oh, my God, what the hell is this going on? This makes no sense. I told my friend, watch this guy. He's going to have an accident. It was the only thing that would make sense to me. It's like, okay, same feeling. Must be. The guy drove around, waved at his friends, and left and drove off into the distance. <laughs> I'm totally embarrassed trying to think, what is going on? What was that feeling? What did it mean? About an hour later... I was just suddenly brought to back to awareness by a voice, my friend behind me uh, on the picnic table where I'd been sitting going, Hey, Ken, where are you going? And I tried to say, I don't know. And I couldn't speak. My body was walking. I, I almost felt like a hostage, but I felt like my body knew where it needed to go. I'm just going to let it right, and be an observer. When I got to a spot on the grass a few hundred feet away, and I, my foot stepped on that spot, I knew this is where I needed to be. It, it was a deep knowing. And in that moment, I could feel the vibration on that motorcycle coming. And my mind is like, no way, no way. You and your imagination, no way. And I could then hear the engine coming, and no way. It does sound like a Harley, though, doesn't it? That's a chopper, mm-hmm. well, maybe. And then he turns the corner, and it's the same guy. And this time he's got a uh, girl on the back of the motorcycle. Like, oh, I think this is real. <laughs> What's going on? I better pay attention. Coming out at the other side. So th- he's coming in from my right side. I'm standing on the curb along the grass. Uh, literally like, you know, a foot away from the edge of the road. On my left is a um, big um, athletic-looking guy on a Honda 750, um, more of a street bike, not a chopper-style Harley. And he's coming out at the same time this guy's coming in, and as they converge, I am literally right in the middle, exactly where they're going to pass each other. 
As they approach, the chopper raises his arm, waves to his friend, tilts the bike, moves across the center line, and arms reach in front of me. Their handlebars clicked and touched. And mm-hmm. when they clicked, time stopped again. And, and I won't say it on a recording, but my internal thought was not something you'd want to repeat. <laughs> I was like, what? Mm. <laughs> not again. I was so convinced that this was not real. And here I am again. And the opening this time, instead of your love and protected, which so many indie ears describe, it was an admonition. Done very friendly. I mean, it was loving. But it was literally... You tried to stuff it last time. Um, this needs to happen to you again. And you need to pay attention for, and remember this for the rest of your life. And then there was kind of a, an added message of, we'll talk again later in this life. And I've always wondered about that. But here I am now again in the exact same situation without my life being in danger. What an opportunity, right? How many people get to do that? <laughs> right. So here I am, like, looking at this unfolding before me. It, it was like, you know, one of those things that you see in the movies where the set is frozen and, the, you know, there's like a, a, a commercial uh, guy doing uh, an animation or a narration walking around this frozen scene. It was like that. It was really weird. I literally felt like I could walk around in, like, super high speed and, I didn't try because it didn't make a lot of sense that I would be able to. But what, what, what originally, what, what originally um, caught my attention was the girl on the back because I was concerned for her because she might not even know that they were crashing. And with that thought, kind of like what happened with the Volkswagen, I watched her body as a, almost a ghost image fly out of her physical body. She tried to land on her feet. She had too much forward momentum, started a roll, and my mind's eye, my camera view, went to within an inch of her knee. I will never forget looking in every detail of the skin on her knee as it hit the asphalt in amazing detail and going, oh, she's just going to get a scrape. That's not worth risking my life for. Let it go and just soak it in. And so here I am, like once again, trapped in time, out, out of time, looking at how does all this work? <laughs> this is really interesting. Right. So that was the real gist of it. It wasn't, unlike an NDE where I really thought my life was in danger, this one was a little harder to kind of fit in the box. So I mm-hmm. call this one more of an STE. And you've never but, felt that your guide caused this accident to teach you something. He, it was just that you were there to witness an accident that would have taken place anyway. I felt like these events would have happened regardless. What I was given was an energetic boost to see the other side. Mm. I don't know. It was like I was, I was chaperoned and guided to another place. Well, Ken, I think, speaking of another place, that we're going to have to continue this next week. <laughs> because oh, wow. so fast. Now, you, now you've had two life lessons, and what we want to hear about next is what you learned from them. And also, there's at least one prophetic dream that seems uh, really important to hear about as well. So, unfortunately, this is all the time we have for today. 
Ken, tell the audience where they can find the apps you developed for NDE Radio, and, and that's the way they can reach you, right? Absolutely, yeah. It's uh, on the iOS or the Apple App Store as well as Google Play. If you just search for INS NDE Radio, um, you'll find the app. Um, it's got all of uh, your shows recorded since, what is it, 2015, I think, is how far back it goes. Um, but at the bottom there is a uh, contact the author link. So you can always get a hold of me by just tapping that. Okay. Well, thank you, Ken. We're going to have you back next Monday. But uh, thanks so far for the story you've shared with us today. We will do the second half of our interview with Ken next Monday. But for those who'd like to listen to this show again or any of our past shows, just go to our website at nderadio.org and join us again every Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern, for more NDE Radio. This is Lee Whitting saying thanks for listening.